Good morning, everyone. Good to see you here today. Welcome. Welcome to Valley Community Church, our second service. All right. Well, we are in a series called Huddle Up, and you saw some of the t-shirts. We had a Huddle Up event, and uh, we had some folks turn out, and we gave away free t-shirts for those who signed up for the small groups, and you can still do that. Today's our last day for sign-up. You'll notice the, the tables in the back that have the description of each of the small groups. We have a tremendous amount of offerings for you, lots of places where you can serve, where you can study the Bible, where you can connect with other believers. We've, uh, we've got lots of awesome things for you. So grab one of the menus if you want to just look at it as a whole as we categorize them, or you just, just go ahead and peruse the tables. We're going to go ahead and give you some time at the end of the service to do that, and uh, we'll, we'll let you know about that here when it comes. All right, so huddling up. Small groups, that's where life change happens. So what I've been doing over the last couple of weeks is making the case biblically as to why meeting in a small group is important to your faith, to your personal development, and to be the church. So we talked about Jesus. What did Jesus do? He gathered 12 men together. He discipled them. He poured into them. He showed them how to do this thing and then took off and said, now you guys go and do the same thing. He said, by the way, I'm not going to leave you powerless. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. He will come and empower you, um, allowing you to be witnesses for me. So wherever we move, however we step out in faith and obedience and to reach people with the love of Jesus, the Holy Spirit's going to be there, has our back. Give us us anointed gifts to, to be able to speak in the name of Jesus amazing things and amazing things take place. Now, so last week we talked about that taking place. So the church, they get filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter walks outside and he preaches the gospel to 3,000 Jews all over the known world, and 3,000 of them get saved right on the spot. The church is born effectively. Matter of fact, a mega church is born overnight in an afternoon. Actually, it was in the morning. And so they get baptized in water. They come, and so now they're looking at each other. What do we do now? Well, we can find out that. We learned about that last week. And if you missed it, you can check it out. But what they did right there in Acts chapter 2, they began to meet in the temple. So they went to the place as a congregation where they'd celebrate the fact that people are coming to Christ every day. They listened to teaching. Then they went back to their houses and they worked this stuff out. They lived it among one another, family to family, heart to heart, soul to soul, business to business. It was out there in the marketplace, home to home. And it says the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. In other words, what they experienced was a fruitfulness that came from not only identifying as a church as a whole, people come to Christ there, and then also from their house to house. And a lot of times that would flow with families that would go through cousins and aunts and uncles and all kinds of, they called that the oikos, their household. So it was, it was happening, it was working. As a matter of fact, the, the, the church just took off and went on steroids. So I'm gonna read here just, just from the notes and to kind of get you up to speed, give you a little, a little bit of background to what we're gonna talk about here today. So the church indeed takes off as Peter, Philip, Stephen, Paul, Barnabas, and, and Apollos, and John do their part apostolically to spread the message down the Roman roads of commerce and conquest. Persecution of the Jewish Christians there in Jerusalem pushes the gospel into the far reaches of the diaspora or what is called the dispersed Jews throughout the known uh, areas around the Mediterranean. And so throughout the Mideast and the Roman territories, as Gentiles quickly began to accept the gospel, which was a huge shift, church growth goes into a hyperdrive necessitating teaching and church oversight. Peter, Paul, and John write inspired letters 
inspired by the Holy Spirit, to converted Jews and Gentiles to help them embrace the truths that Jesus taught. So since the church buildings or church buildings as a whole were not a thing, the new believers gathered in homes and wherever they could find a place to gather without attracting too much attention. The times were hostile to Christians until whole communities were effectively reached. What is amazing about this process is that it is still used even to this day throughout the world in China. In most countries where Christianity has had to go underground, they use this, this model even to this day. And honestly, as I share here and what I've been talking to you about, we still need to use here in the States. I think I can honestly say that the struggle of the church has never really been the non-believer, but the believer who doesn't understand or, or act on the teachings of Christ. Jesus warned us about this deception because it was the very spiritual condition of God's people at the time of his arrival. You would think that the Jews who had received their virgin birth, Bethlehem-born, miracle-working Messiah, but sadly, many of the ruling class did not. They were blinded. And it's pretty sad, isn't it? That here they were expecting and praying and hoping for this wonderful coming of their Messiah, and when he was there, they didn't even see him. And you know what? That speaks to a blindness that Jesus pointed to. And I actually talked about that last week or a couple of weeks ago, where, where Jesus was speaking to, to, to the Christians and saying, look, don't listen to them. They're the blind guides. They're the ones who do not understand. They think they're religious. They think they're quote unquote Christians. They think they're the ones that are paving the way for what is good and right, but they're blind, they're deceived, and they don't even know the, the son of God when he's standing right there in front of them. And so Jesus said, look, this could be and continue to be a condition for not only, and so that's why he warned him. He said, guys, don't let this happen. Well, sadly it has. It has in the church today. We've got a generation of people who, because they have not read the word of God, because they don't understand the word of God. Last week I talked about the need for teaching, and that, that's what happened with the, the, the early church. So many of them that came in, they didn't understand what Jesus taught, so it had to be taught, taught and taught and taught over and over again until it was inculcated not only into their, what their thinking was, but into their decision processes, how they would live, how they'd raise their family, how they would, they would, they would do business, everything so that they could be fruitful and multiply to change the world for him. So what we find ourselves in a condition today as a whole is that I think Christians have forgotten. We're our own worst enemy. Made that case last week. We get in, 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 a, in a way of ourselves. We become our own blockade because so many of us have forgotten, have forgotten who we are and what we've been called to be and to do. I made the case and talked about how the church, when it just becomes the one-winged one bird, in other words, when we only just gather in the quote-unquote temple, where we just celebrate together in a congregation, and we're all facing in one direction, and we hear a teaching, that's good, but it's incomplete. It does not give us all that we need in order to become his disciples, to be fruitful, to do what he's called us to do. We see the early church doing that automatically because it was... Um, they were mentored in it. They knew, knew what to do instinctively. And of course, the Holy Spirit led them that way. So folks, we need to get back to that. So that is the reason why we as a church, that is why that is my passion here as the pastor and the leader here at Valley, is to reinvent. And those churches that are reinventing are really going back to what is the foundation of what was the passion of Jesus, was the heart of God from the beginning. 
It's to not make the church into buildings, but to understand that the church is people. See, in the Greek, the word church is ekklesia. It's not a wonderful building with highfalutin, you know, columns and things like that. It's not what it means. The Greek word for church is called out ones. It's people called out of the world to be salt and light, to affect that world through our lives, through our, 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 the very passions and the, the work of God that's going on inside us. So we're having to rediscover that. And every generation kind of does. And so it's amazing that those churches all around the world, if we were to really do a missiological study of those churches that are growing and impacting and really changing the world, they're going to be churches based on this very model in some form. And so that's where we are. That's our vision here at VCC. When you come to our membership, we're going to share that with you. We're going to show you that, that, that we, we, we gather ourselves around. You know, we, we have this building that used to be a bar. Okay, it used to be Dylan's. We know that. Eddie George just went on to be with the Lord. And we did his memorial, uh, when was it? Monday night. And, and it, it, was, it was wonderful to celebrate knowing that Eddie, who had so many years, and we heard a few colorful stories about how he didn't serve God for the longest time, but then he gave his life to Christ. And then he used his passion and his energy and his fruitfulness of his life to serve God, including this building. Helping Emmanuel Worship Center, now Valley Community Church, become what it is. And I told those people that gathered, I said, I just want you to know that what used to be a bar, what used to be a place where maybe some not so good things happened are now is a place where Jesus is worshiped and disciples are made. That's good, man. That's the way it ought to be. You go in and you take over. That's the way it ought to be. And you know what? When the church is operating the way it's supposed to, that is what's going to happen. So that's our vision here. That's what we're called to do. That's our goal at VCC. And I want to take Ephesians chapter 4 today, and I want to share this with you and to show you what is essentially our vision that we're taking right out of Scripture, okay? And then I want to talk to you about the challenge. What is our challenge as a church, as the church? And then what is the solution? You can find it all there in Ephesians 4. Let's look at it. Let's start with a goal. In Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 15, he says this. Instead, so I like this. It's kind of a bridge between what we could do, what we're motivated to do, what we're, we're motivated to turn the church into. Instead of that, speaking the truth in love, we grow to become, in every respect, the mature, the mature body of him who is the head. That is Christ. What is he saying here? He's saying the goal here, instead of all the other things that man tries to create, the goal should be of the church is to attain to the full measure of maturity, that we as his people are growing in maturity. And maturity to what? Just to be mature adults? No, to be mature Christians, Christ followers, to look like him, act like him, think like him, be like him in every way. He says, in every respect, every respect. That means our morality, how we treat people, how we think of ourselves, what do we do with our lives, what do we do with our vocation. Every respect. Attaining the full measure. Verse 16, from him, Jesus, the whole body, that's us, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Hmm. 
So what he tells us here is the church is not able to really be the church. So he, he lays out, he says, look, what's the goal? To become mature. How do we do that? By ministering one to another. By each part doing its work. So in contrast, what is the instead? Well, the instead is perhaps just having a church where all people are facing the same way and a few anointed, trained professionals are the ones doing all the ministry. But can we just look at that? Let's look at Paul's analogy. And, and so it's like that, what that means is you got a few people who are being all the ligaments and being the organs and being the muscles and trying to hold this thing all together. It's no wonder it collapses. It's no wonder it doesn't really work. Can't do that. I don't have all the gifts. I don't have all the abilities. I don't have what you need at all occasions. All I can do is what Ephesians 11 and 12 says in a few verses before this, that my job, talked about this last week, my job is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. My job is to train you to attain that full measure so that you can what? Be the body so that you can minister one to another, so that you can, as you're growing, that the young ones that come in, the people that are struggling and working through issues, which we'll talk about here in a minute, we can minister one to another. The church is like the body, and the body doesn't function until every part of the body is working. I'm 56, now, 56 years right now, and I'm beginning to discover not every part of my body is working the way it used to. Yeah? Yeah, you guys know what I'm talking about. You get up in the morning, it's like, what? Where'd it go? You know? Anyway. So imagine the, the, the church handicapped. Because that's really what the church ends up being when the church is not able to function. Handicapped. Blind, deaf, mute, incapable of walking. That's what happens. But when the body really kicks in and we're all giving and, and sharing and, and ministering one to another, then we've got health. We, there is no way we can attain the full measure of, of being like Christ by ourselves or even coming from one person or even just a group of people. No way. We need one another, and the Bible confirms this. Absolutely. And it says, and it grows, it builds itself up. I was joking in the first service. It, it would almost like be me coming to work with you every day. And, you know, I'd just be your pal for that week. Hey, how you doing? Good to see you. I'm just going to be hanging out with Bill this week. And I'd just sit next to you and say, I wouldn't do that. I know what you're thinking. Don't do that. You'd be like, would you shut up? Pastor David, go home. Leave me alone. See, I can't do that. You don't want me doing that. You need one another. And you need the Holy Spirit. But you need one another so that when you leave here, you go and you get in your small group and you hang out and you share some of your challenges. You, tell, you, you share what's going on in your life. They pray for you. And you might even have an issue where, where you, you're, you're praying it through and somebody comes up beside you afterward and says, hey, look, can I talk to you just for a few minutes after the group? Sure. Yeah, you know what? I got a, I got a verse of scripture for you. And, and can I pray this over you? Because I really believe this is, this is what's kind of integral to what's going on in your life. And they're ministering to you. And they begin to minister in a very unique, specific, loving way. And see, that's the way the body works. And notice it says, speaking the truth in love. And it says, building itself up in love. It's a love sandwich. Love has to be all in it. And when we lose the motivation of love, then it just becomes controlling, manipulative, and trying to church, turn the church into just a bunch of holy people. You know? And that, that's what can happen. 
It's when we're not ministering in love to one another and we're not all moving to and knowing that, that I'm as broken as you are and I need Jesus as much as you are and we're all on the same playing field, you know, we're on a team, then it works. It can really work. But when it is loveless and it's forced, it's, con- it's, it's condemning, it's manipulative, and it only comes from one place and it's not so much. Not so much at all. So we need this. And we find these action verbs working right here in these few verses. Loving. This is what the body needs to be doing. This is, this is the glue. This is the motion. Loving, speaking, growing, maturing, joining, supporting, building by each part or person working, which is serving and using his gifts, our gifts. So when you come to Valley... We'll help you discover what your gifts are, your motivational gifts, your spiritual gifts. And we'll help you define that and then help you find a place in the body to where you can serve. Because see, so many people, they've never been taught. They've never been shown, well, that I can use my gifts. And so the small groups is a perfect place. Now, you can do it here on Sundays too. You can teach your children. There's, There's many different things that we can do, but we can't do it all. Whereas providing the small groups, it's more intimate. It's house to house. It is specific very specific at times. Maybe you're going to a new season where you need to work on your marriage for a while. Well, jump in a small group about marriage. Perhaps you've just started a family. You've got some little rugrats running around. Let us help you learn how to raise up a generation of young people who, who rise up and call you blessed. You're a, you're a, a young man. You're, you're not married yet. You need a group of guys to kind of help you walk through some decisions in your life. Well, we've got men of action. We've got women of action. We've got all kinds of opportunities for you to, to grow into that full measure. It's just not enough doing it here. The average person goes to church maybe once, twice a month. And if that's all where we're getting fed, then we're only getting little snapshots of the truth. Never really pulling it all together. Unless we're, we're fully committed to reading, reading the Bible, but that's in short supply too. You can jump on board, get you that U version, start reading the Bible, read it every single day. Encourage you to do that. So, that's the goal. That's what will bring us high life, is when we come together, we celebrate and enjoy that wonderful worship we enjoyed here today. But then we break off, and it's sometime during the week. We don't have a middle-of-the-week middle service for this purpose. We want you to have... Now, we do have the Thursday night, but that's exactly... I mean, that's just another weekend service. It's not a midweek service. But we, we, we want you to, to worship on Sundays or Thursday night, and then find you a small group that you can invest your life in. And we break them up into semesters for the particular reason that we know that needs change. And they're very much like a kind of a free market situation, using that that term, as Ralph Neighbor kind of uh, uh, coined the phrase, is that we want the body to determine what it needs. And that makes sense, doesn't it? Now, we step in from time to time and say, yeah, you know, we could use a few more men's groups. We could use a few more things. Maybe we're represented with with a marriage group, a children's group, whatever. But for the most part, it rises up among you. You recognize what the needs are. You see what's going on there. And you rise up and lead a group. You go through a book in the Bible. It's good. It's excellent. It's a great way for the church to function. That's the goal. What's the challenge? Let's look at Ephesians 17 and following. This is what we're up against. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. Uh Uh-oh. There's the challenge. Christians not acting like Christians. Christians acting like the world, having no real difference. 
The truth is when we, begin, when we become the church, that is your identifier, then this is no longer your world. You're a citizen of a nation, of a, of a, of a kingdom that is not of this world. I love being an American. You know, I bleed red, white, and blue. Love it. But I'm also understanding, but that's only my position while I'm here. I actually belong to, I'm a citizen of a kingdom that is not of this world. And therefore, as I live, my awesome, my, my real loyalties, my, when it comes down to the stuff hitting the fan, my loyalty is to that kingdom first. And every Christian around this world has to make that decision too. And you know what? Many of them die for it. Many. Thank God we don't live in a nation where that's going to cost us, at least not yet. But I am a citizen of a kingdom that's not of this world. And so here Paul is saying, look, you, you, you gave your life to Christ. You belong to him now, and, and you belong to this other place. Don't act like them. Don't act like the, of the people of the world. There needs, there needs to be a difference between you. You're going to be a citizen of heaven. You're a follower of Jesus. They called the, the Christians in Antioch Christians for the first time because they called them little Christ. Why did they do it? Because they acted like Jesus. They talked like Jesus. They said, man, you talk just like Jesus. Yeah, because he's my mentor. He's my savior. He's my Lord. He says, so don't do that. Now he tells us why they are. In the futility of their thinking, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. He tells us the anatomy of a Christian who is carnal, a carnal believer. He says, this is what they look like. This is how it happens. First of all, they harden their heart because they react to the truth. They say, I don't think I want to walk in that. That's, that's too hard. And all of a sudden, a veil begins to grow. It's the scales of deception begin to grow over the eyes, and we're not able to discern. Discernment, discernment, discernment. I've said this from this pulpit many times. The greatest gift any Christian can have is discernment. And how do you build that? How do you grow that? Read the word of God. It is the word of God that helps us decide, discern between uh, spirit and soul, joints and marrow. It helps us with, with precision quality. Is this the enemy? Is this God? Is this Gentile lost people living? Or is this child of God kingdom living? God will help us do that. But when we harden our hearts, then we begin to become really dumbed down. We become, Paul's using the words, not me. He says, we become ignorant of the truth. And we become darkened. That's a little scary word. It's darkened to the ability to see the light, to discern between what is good and bad and what is right for me. And we're going to find out that there's three basic ways this happens here in just a moment. And Paul hits on these over and over and over in the church. And we'll mention them here today. He goes on, verse 19. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. Mm. He said, so that's what the world is doing. They're full of greed. They're full of immorality, sensuality. He's talking about the Christians. He's talking about, he said, you guys need to, 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 to know that you're attaining to the full measure of Christ. You're walking away from that. You're moving toward being more like Jesus. He, he makes that point here in just a moment. 
So he lays it out. He says, look, this is the anatomy of, 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 of a darkened heart, of an eye that can't see, a Christian who's not acting like a Christian. So you say, well, Pastor Dave, that's pretty heavy duty. It is. But here's the thing. And I'm going to jump ahead, give you a little hope, and then we'll come back. Okay? There is hope, and it comes through the church. We work together on this. Here's the, here's the truth of the matter. If you've gotten saved in any period of time, I mean, you know, I've been walking with the Lord almost 40 years, and there are still areas of my life that are, are, are still being revealed, still layers of my selfishness, layers of my own personal struggle, narcissism, and, and all of that. And there's still layers of my pride that are still being pulled back and say, man, I thought I dealt with that. That's the journey. That is the journey for all of us. And we need one another to make that happen. How many times, you know, it, 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 somebody can come to me out of whether it be Kenny or, or, or Jamie or anybody else in my life that I've given that place and they've earned that right into my life to come to me and say, Pastor David, I love you, but, you know, that seems a little out of whack. Oh, bro, thank you. Thank you. Would you pray for me? Yes. Helping us through this. We all do this together. And who knows, the very next week or a month later, I might be doing it for you. <laughs> because we're all in this together. There's none of us that are perfect. None of us who are, 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 are fully baked are done. That doesn't happen until you die. And then caught up in wonderful work. So the enemy of the Christian, that's our problem here, is acting like the lost, thinking like the lost, feeling like the lost, sinning like the lost. So, you know, we know that those who identify with being Christians is around like 60 to 73% here in the United States right now. It's, it's down. It's definitely declined quite a bit over the last 20 years. And that's because a whole generation, pretty much the millennials and, 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 and younger ones, are just not being exposed to the truth enough. And they've been, there's been a real onslaught of the enemy to deceive them and to, to, to pull them. And, and matter of fact, the... the uh, People identify as being nuns, in other words, having no religious affiliation, is grown hugely over the last 20 years. Hugely. And so there's a lot of people who say, well, I think I believe in God. And so there's a lot of, of, of confusion, a lot of deception. And, and so obviously that camp, we pray and hope for them and pray and pray and pray. But there is also this other group of about 60% of our nation of people who identify and say, I am a Christian they just aren't acting like it. Truth is, if, six, if the 60% of our nation rose up and started praying, started living like Christ, started being the church, it's game over. Are you kidding? I mean, it would be like the fastest battle in the history of histories. Of how quickly, if all the Christians started praying for our nation, if all the Christians started voting and doing things and, and voting their conscience instead of their bellies and, and doing different things that we're called to be and to do, how, could, how quickly we would change things. And that's, that's just from a political perspective. But how about just from a, a neighborhood to neighborhood? How about just within a family? And, which, and that's really what it kind of comes down to. That's our challenge you know, you, as my pastor used to say, you can't expect the lost to act like Christians. <laughs> the lost people aren't going to act like Christians. Lost people are going to act like lost people. And they're going to do sinful things. They're going to be atheistic. They're going to be um, uh, aggressively opposed to the church. You can expect that. 
That's a spiritual warfare of a different kind. But we can't expect Christians to act like Christians. We really can. We got to get there. And folks, the truth is this. It's bloody, it's ugly, and it's, but it's true. We're not getting it done. So every once in a while, the church has to do something that's really unique. It's time to reinvent ourselves. The church was always called to be an, organiz- an organism instead of an organization. And the more we have organized and traditionalized and, cr- and, and created systems and programs and things, that after a while, insanity and the definition of it is what applies. What is it? If you keep on doing the same things, right, expecting different results, right, that's the definition of insanity. The church is just not getting it done. But the tr- the, there is wonderful news that those churches that embrace the concept of, of, of discipleship, embracing concept that we're responsible to minister to one another, that we understand, we simplify and get, just get back to what, what we're shown by Jesus, back to what the book of Acts showed us, and just get back to our great commission call. It's taken off all over the world, all over the world. That's the wonderful news. And here in the United States, the fastest growing churches are a lot like ours. And so, that's good news. But to get there, for you to jump on board, that's my passion to to show you. And only the Holy Spirit can show you that. Only the Holy Spirit can bring you to that place, which is why we sang that song at the end. Holy Spirit, we're asking the Spirit of God to come and teach us, show us, lead us, convict us, and then avail ourselves of the wonderful gifts of the body that are all around us people that will pray for us, people that will stand with us, people that will understand our challenges. Only together can we defeat our enemy. And you say, you're talking about the devil? Well, yes and no. You know, really, I tell people, and this may seem strange to you, but the devil's not really your problem anymore. The devil made me do it. Not really. He only suggested it. You did it. An act of your will. Clear cut. See, here's the deal. Jesus defeated Satan on the cross. When he died, he said, it is finished. And Colossians chapter 3 tells us that he made a public mockery. Satan was just like, what have I done? And the Bible tells us that all we have to do is resist him and he will flee. Just resist. Just say, no. And he runs and he hightails it. In Jesus' name, no. That's the extent of spiritual warfare, folks, because of what Jesus did for you. So I've got to come to the conclusion that this problem that we have is not really the devil. It's us. It's us. And you know what? We can do this. If we think in terms of Super Bowl and football field and teams and all that, well, a team can't win when everybody is, everybody's got different ideas. Hey, I think we should run the ball. No, man, we got to pass it. No, what are you talking about? Man, let's punt. Nobody wins any games with that kind of a team. But when you get in that team and everybody's saying, we're going to do this together. You got to play? Yes, let's all do your play. Now, if we're going to do this play, everybody has to do their part. You got to block down. You got to come up. You got to pull and you got to go over there and you're going to get the ball. And you, six foot 10 big guy, stand in the middle. You guy who's super fast, you get the ball. Run. Everybody does, does their part. That's how we win. That's how the church gets to the point of being healthy. There's no cast off. There's nobody left behind. We do this together. That's how it works. 
Now, here's the solution, which I guess I already gave you, but let's, let's look at what Paul had to say. Starting verse 20. That, however, is not the way of life you learned. In other words, being like the Gentiles, living like them. He says, that's not what you guys were taught. Stop doing that. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught, taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds. In other words, to get inside your head and give you new thinking, to understand there's a better way of doing things. But you don't know what the better way is until you've been introduced to it. I mean, that's, that's why we need teaching. That's why the early church needed teaching. They had a way of life that needed to be taught by the ways, the words of Jesus, specifically the Sermon of the Mount, broken down, made palatable in every way, applied to every aspect of our life. To be made new in the attitude and to put on the new self, created to be what? Like God. In true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you should put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. Well, how are we going to do that when we're all facing the same direction? How are we going to do that? When we run in, run out, grab a cup of coffee, get a, you know, something and head out of here. Uh-uh. Ain't going to happen. The only one speaking the truth here is me. But if you're going to speak to one another, then we've got to get together. We've got to function as the body. We've got to find time to do that. We've got to make time to do that. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil a foothold. That's a whole different teaching. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work. Do something useful with your own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. The whole point of being useful, the whole point of being productive, the whole point of, of, of doing something to work in general is not only to take care of my own needs, but, but I can fulfill the law of Christ. We've got that all turned around right now, by the way, folks. It is literally turned on top of its head, and Christians are buying it hook, line, and sinker. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So whatever you say out of your mouth, whatever you type on your keyboard, man, that's all being watched. That's all being, we always knew that words would go out into heaven and stay there and be collected by God, but now we got Facebook where they store it in databanks forever. You write something mean, it's there. You write something judgmental, if, you show, if you're not letting your anger go down. So Paul says, look, there's three main areas that he's going to mention, just to jump ahead here so I can finish. He says there's three main areas that we as a church are being challenged with. And he says this over and over again. And I'll be honest with you. These three main areas will never get fully dealt with in just coming to church once a month. This ain't going to happen. And that's dealing with bitterness. That's dealing with immorality, sensuality, and greed. Those are the three main areas that absolutely upend a Christian's life. Not just the world's life, but a Christian's life. In other words, unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. See, Jesus taught that in Matthew 18. He said, look, if you expect to get forgiveness from God for your sins, you've got to replicate, I mean, you've got you to give that away. You've got to be a forgiver of people. You can't hold on to bitterness and just say, well, I'm a Southern boy and Southern, Southern boys don't forgive. That's not cool. It's not biblical. You must forgive from your heart. You must release them. You can't, it, it's breathing, forgiveness for the Christian is breathing in and out. Breathe in the forgiveness of God. Breathe out forgiveness for people. Repeat. That's the way it works. And Jesus told us that. He, he taught that with, with passion. And then uh, 
Immorality. Well, we know that immorality has snuck its way into the church. And, and, and now we've got you know, churches that call themselves churches and embracing despicable things. And nobody, nobody even wants to talk about the real dark, dark, evil, bad, bad things that are, that, that are being done by even our political leaders. And yet the church, here we are singing zippity-doo-dah day and, and, and encouraging it. What the heck? We are needing to understand that Jesus said, in Christ's light and holiness. That's what we're supposed to be heading toward. Purity. Not this nasty, dressed-up pig thing we've created. It's not it. And no one's here to judge. No, even though I sound judgmental right now, I'm just, I'm just throwing it out there. But the truth is we can't deal with immorality in our own lives. And you know what? We got a lot of it. It's in the church. And I know this. And we need Jesus. We need one another. We need accountability groups. That's why we have the men of action. Um, I don't know who's doing every man's battle, but we got an every man's battle uh, uh, small group going on to help men with that area help you. And then find a greed. Greed, man, we, greed is, we got, it, it's hurting us so badly because we've put our hope in a government. We think that's the solution. We think all of that. You know, I'm going to, well, shoot, we're recording this one. Mm. Let me take a vote. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> speaking of politics, well, can I just say something? Don't hold me to this. I'm just going to have a little bit of fun. I had a millennial talk to me and say, yeah, you know, we don't really like the police officers. We don't like a police state. We want to be free. We don't want any control. But you want to be a socialist, right? Well, yeah. Okay. Well, who's going to enforce everybody being equal? Who's going to do that? In socialist states, you've got to have more police. You got to have more control. And you're going to have to have an IRS 20 times larger than the one you got now. Think about it. All right, there's my political thought for the morning. All right. So, folks, in conclusion, in the context of our small groups, we can learn to build each other up through love and respect and acceptance, but speaking truthfully through our example and words. Folks, the point is greed. It separates us. Have you noticed that? Very divisive. Matter of fact, some of you are angry at me just sharing that little, that little story. Because that's how, that's how nasty it is. But if what the church starts acting like the church and we start caring for our own and we start doing what they did in the book of Acts, why are we having to tell anybody, why are we having to have anybody force us to be generous? Why are we having to have a police state to force us to take care of our own? In the church, it should work naturally. It should come out of compassion and for the work of Christ inside us. It's, it, it is the model that God gave us, and it should work. It may not work out there, but it doggone should work in here. And how it happens is from house to house, family to family, soul to soul, sharing of lives. That's how it works. Jesus showed us. So greed, yeah, it's bad stuff. And it's one of the three prongs of the devil to bring separation, to bring selfishness, to bring narcissism, and to shut your life down. We can't deal with them alone. We need one another. The church to be effective, I'm sorry for going over time today, but for the church to be effective, folks, we have got to be soul to soul. We've got to function. We need one another. 
We need the accountability. Pastor David can't go snooping in on you, finding out if you're following Jesus, but you can't keep taking care of one another out of love, out of love and concern and voluntary submission to one another. That's how it works. That's Bible. And if we want what Bible gets, then we need to do what Bible does. Pretty simple. And that's where we are. That's the solution. Again, we're not in a situation where anybody forces that to happen. I'm going to release you here in just a second. You're going to go to those tables. I want you to sign up for a group, please, for your own benefit, for your family's life, for your marriage, for your children, for your own well-being. Find your place in the body. Let's stand up this morning. Thanks for joining our live stream today. Make sure to like our Facebook page. And if you want more information about us, make sure to visit us at our website, valleychurch.us, or go and download our Valley Church app called Valley Church Weldon. If you feel led to give today, you can give on our website and on our app.